Welcome back to EGAT. It's Kevin and Paul. Yes, we're going to talk Texas football. That's what we do, but Paul and I were talking before the show, and we just thought, you know what, let's kind of ease our way into it a little bit. So we'll get into all that, so don't turn off now if you're wondering where the Baylor recap is. Spoiler alert, if you didn't watch the game, but you watched the previous couple weeks, you kind of got the gist. But uh, we'll get into that. But, hey, some some Big 12 news and some stuff that we've kind of talked about. I think on the pod we've mentioned that with going after Marcel Brooks from LSU and Zach Evans – I mentioned that it felt like Gary kind of knew, hey, this is the last the last stand we have and my last run, and I'll probably take some chances that if I'm building another culture and I know I'm going to be around a little bit, I don't take those chances. But, man, this team just got worse and worse this year. I watched them against West Virginia, and the offense was brutal. But the biggest thing with TCU, Paul, is that their defense, which obviously that's why Gary Patterson – was the college football coach that he was, and he was the D.C. under Fran before taking the job for 22 years, their defense is is putrid. I mean, it's just it's not the same well-tackling or good-tackling fundamental team that we saw before. And they lose to Kansas State 31-12 on Saturday. It actually wasn't even that close. And they had had enough. This had been percolating behind closed doors with TCU people trying to find the right exit strategy for Gary Patterson. And in very in very Gary Patterson form, he said, nope, I'm leaving right now. You want to fire me, you fire me, and I'm not coaching another game. How surprised are you 1-10 to 10, that, that they're doing it right now? I'm not surprised. I, I think things were coming to a head. I had that sense. And you were right. We were talking about the culture issues, you know, that TCU felt a little desperate taking some people in that locker room that – you know, had the chance to to really sour your football culture. And ultimately, things caught up to old Gare. And it was really about Big 12 offenses and the evolution, uh, the evolution that Art Bryles really brought into the conference. And then, of course, that was brought to the next level with Lincoln Riley. And it really took advantage of some of the stuff that that Gary Patterson was really, a, I mean, a massive innovator defensively with that 4-2-5 and, and having these concepts where you sort of had these mutually supporting uh, roles at safety where you could kind of always have an even defense and you could you could really adjust to the to the offense and really made adjustments to conventional offense really easy. And it was very trainable. Right. He, his teams were really well coached because there just wasn't a lot for them to learn with the with the genius and ingenuity of the system. The problem was that system couldn't scale. It couldn't scale up to all the stuff that RPOs and, and a lot of the, the ultra spread type attacks brought. And if you guys are not members of Inside Texas, Ian Boyd wrote a terrific ode to the toad, ode to Gary Patterson. <laughs> and he gets into some of this and talks about that evolution. And it's a really interesting reminder because people, you know, so on one level, you've got to praise Gary, Gary Patterson for what he, where he brought TCU. I mean, he, he single-handedly got them into a P5 conference. Yes, that's him. I mean, that's, that's not an exaggeration, right? Paul, Paul my, my, my niece goes there, right? She's yep. in a sorority and was meeting some of her sorority sisters, and half of them are from California. Yep. Like, I, I couldn't believe how many out-of-staters even knew TCU existed. 
they're in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, Taylor from from Fresno or from Southern California is there because of Gary Patterson. I, it, yeah. You really can't you, you can't make too much of, about what he did. The twenty two years was was fantastic, and he took that he took that school to another level. Well, it's it's a, it should be a zero program, right? And I mean, so Texas, Texas A and M, those should be the top two dogs in in the state of Texas, right? Yeah. And then, realistically, the next level should not be TCU. It should be Baylor. I mean, talk about resources and, and and living alum and money and and location, you know, access. I mean, University of Houston should frankly should have been TCU, right? Yes. If you look at living alumni and history and, and location and the size of that, I mean, University of Houston has, what, 40,000 students? Yeah, Houston should be third in the state behind Texas and Texas A&M. I mean, I mean a- TC- ahead TCU's of TCU's not even the the most renowned private school in DFW. No. <laughs> right? Right. And, and, I mean, you're exactly right. He put TCU on the map. At the same time, the fact is he was a big frog in a small pond in conference USA and the frogs went 48 and seven over seven years there, Kevin, they went undefeated in league league play four times in seven years. That includes that miraculous Rose bowl victory over Wisconsin, where they finished second in the AP bowl. I mean, that's incredible. But when they joined the big 12 and people forget Gary Patterson spent 10 years in the big 12, when they joined the big 12, they were all, they were 45 and 41 in conference play just over 500 and over the last five years or i'm sorry the last four years they've been 13 and 19 in conference play yeah it had been slipping and by the way they're not over 500 in big 12 play in those 10 years if it wasn't for the seven and three record against texas and that that's it gary patterson said it too he said it a year or two ago he said beating texas you know keeps keeps my job pretty much and it, it's it's been a jobs program for the patterson family <laughs> been it, it, <laughs> lots of people owe us a check and texas will take it too trust me yeah no doubt well yeah i mean i think i wrote jokingly in the thinking texas football preview well half jokingly because I, I meant it when gary patterson cut the country album i was like oh this isn't good when an 80 hour a week football obsessed coach starts learning the names of his kids and like cutting country albums and traveling <laughs> to europe and going to florence with the wife that does not bode well for your future and uh here we are you know, about a year and a half later, and Gary Patterson, in his fashion, as you pointed out, says, hey, I'm not going to have the illusion that this is a graceful exit. You guys are forcing me out, and either you can fire me uh, like men, right? Yeah. Or else uh, I'm going to leave you in the lurch and not finish out the season. And uh, that's how Gary went out, and he went out on his own terms. I think the parallels, too, with Mac Brown. You know, Mac's one of the best coaches Texas has ever had and was entitled towards the very end and felt like he could fix it and didn't want to go out, sabotage the Saban deal, and really was going to sabotage whoever took over that job. I think Gary would do the same thing for TCU. A lot of what makes them so successful, that singular focus, that supreme confidence in what you're going to get done, also at the very end makes him look a little petty on the way out. And the difference is is that Mac is one of the best coaches in Texas history. Gary Patterson is the best coach in TCU's history, and they built a statue of him out front. So it makes it a tricky situation when you're trying to pull that off. I'm not sure if, if Texas Tech 
doesn't fire Matt Wells. I don't know if TCU does this midseason. Oh, that's an interesting observation. So concurrent to all of this, you have the UT uh, private board obsession, Jeff Trailer <laughs> of, of UTSA, who's having a remarkable season there. He just signs a 10-year contract with a pretty significant buyout. I think it's, what, $7.5 million? 7.5. You nailed it. So is that bad timing by old Jeff reading the tea leaves? Because the, the rumor is that TCU was the job that that trailer maybe wanted. But maybe an agent or a, a, a wise counselor got in his ear and, and told him what we were talking about a week ago, which was a little prescient, right? We were saying there's a lot of risk in taking that transitional mid-tier job. You might want to try to see if you can jump to the big job. I, I think that's it. Because, look, he, he would have had an idea that Gary was going to be gone at some point this year if he really wanted that job and if he was worried that the $7.5 million buyout was, was going to conflict and was, was going to stop him from getting that job. So I got to think that Jeff Trailer is happy kicking ass at UTSA and then waiting for a bigger, better job. The other thing – too is that and this will be fun we're, we're going to be able to kind of get a gauge on where at least in 2021 where texas tech and tcu are and you can compare and contrast a little bit the value of that job but even that is very much up in the air because we don't know what the big 12 is going to be in a couple years i mean will this still be a power five conference i don't think so i don't either I don't think adding Cincinnati and the people they added is going to add to that. My guess is we're going to have power four in a couple years. Well, so to add a little more spice to all this, LSU is going to be hiring. Yep. Right. So people are talking about Billy Napier and all that. And Billy Napier is certainly going to be a a candidate for tech and TCU and and anything else that opens right within a 300 mile radius of, uh, of Lafayette. But LSU is going to make a run at Jimbo Fisher, man. Yeah. Oh, I know they are. And they're and they're AD, their AD makes up, runs. Kevin. Yeah. If A&M opens up, who might be I mean, could we see Jeff Trailer coaching the Aggies? Is that within the realm of possibility? I mean, I don't think it would be their first choice, but No. Yeah, yeah it could be the possibility is there. I would highly doubt that, the, that that's who they'd end up with, but maybe they do go the Jeff Trailer route. I still don't think Jimbo takes that job. Now, I know the AD and uh, he and the AD have a relationship, and the AD is proven. Is it Woodward? Um, he's proven that he will go get big names, and he's done that before in his previous stops. I just don't see them getting Jimbo. But, yeah, that, that would be interesting if all those dominoes fall and Jeff Trailers waiting out a job like that. <laughs> that would be so dang funny. Uh, well, and, I mean, don't. Don't forget Urban Meyer yet looms, right? There's, there's, I, I think a lot of people have said, oh no, he can never show his face again. And he's, he's been discredited and people have short memories, man. And people create their own realities. So I don't know if he's ultimately out of the running for any big job in college football. Cause it sure as hell isn't going well in Jacksonville. Maybe, maybe he has been discounted. Maybe I'm being too cynical, but I don't know. Maybe Urban's got to be in timeout for a year before he can resuscitate things, and maybe he can dream up a, a fake brain injury or something. There are some ADs who who have uh, anonymously been pulled and said there's no way they would ever touch him. I don't know if that's the case, 
Do, but, do we give a shit what Northwestern's AD says? Right, exactly. Right. I mean, who, who exactly We're about is the SEC, saying that? Baby. The SEC. So I could see the SEC hiring him. I think Urban is definitely in play. There are going to be a lot of jobs, good jobs that are open. And I still think, even though Miami got the win against Pitt, I think Miami will be open. I don't think, I don't see Manny Diaz coaching there next year to go with USC. And then you've got spots like Tech and TCU. How big of a job is that? Hey, let me ask you if so. Sonny Dykes is the name that we keep on hearing. Sonny Dykes would be the guy that Tech and Jeff Trailer is obviously another name, but Sonny Dykes would be the the, the job that uh, or the name that maybe Tech wants to go get, and certainly TCU. I want to get your thoughts on that. But before that, let's say that Tech struggles with their first couple. Do you think they would end up talk about making a, a tough decision and bringing in our prowls? Oh wow! I haven't put that out out of the realm of possibility. I think there's a what chance. What if they that could bring happen. in Art Bryles via Kendall Bryles? Okay, so Art Art is his shadow assistant. Oh, is that possible? It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Kendall Bryles gives you the plausible deniability, right? It's 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 you've washed the money in the money laundering process. I could see it. Kendall Bryles is a good coordinator, man. Yeah, he is. He is. I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, like capping on Kendall Bryles. He just doesn't. He doesn't have any business coaching probably that program at this point in his career. No. But what if he brings on Daddy as his special secret advisor, and there's some sort of term and arrangement? More difficult to do at a state university. TCU wouldn't have to disclose that stuff, would they? No, and Texas Tech would have to. Or ah. well, they, they, yeah, supposedly would have to. What about Sonny Dykes? How good of a coach do you think Sonny Dykes is? Is, is, is are TCU and Tech not not trying to make this enough of a national search? When I say national search, I know you're not going to go get Matt Campbell. I'm talking about some guys that are really good coaches at a smaller level but are national. Well, I, what I like about Sonny Dykes is he's uh, he's sort of a football, football's coach, football coach, but he's also a nice concession to the woke crowd. <laughs> Why is that? Sonny Dykes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh my God! I'm not editing that out. That's <laughs> that's sticking there. What uh, if they offer him a brand new Subaru as part of his? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. But I definitely think TCU, because TCU didn't. It was not going to end well with Gary, no matter what. So they could have done this at the end of the year, and Gary still would have stormed out of the room and been pissed no off. But it could have at least the optics maybe could have looked a little bit better and could have been better. But I don't think TCU makes that move if Tech is not already searching and looking for their coach. I, I do think that when other jobs like that open up and you feel like you're on kind of the, the same level, that it really speeds up the process for other schools. It does. It does speed up the process probably more than they want. Yes. And, you know, I mean, it's it, – I look – Gary Patterson is as, is as petty as they come, right? But at a certain level, can you understand his pettiness? I mean, he create he created this. He walks around TCU and surveys that campus and says, I have literally added, what, $150 million of value yeah. to this campus oh, oh, over I, the time that I've been here. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. No, you're not. I understand his pettiness a lot more than I do Max. Max, yes, Max was, 
That was a 10-year run, and you brought this back. I'll give you a lot of love with that, a ton of love with that. And you brought Texas football back. You made it cool again. You won a national championship. You won a couple conference championships. Even with all the stuff that was left on the table with the talent they had, and ex-players will tell you that, still, you give him a lot of love. But you didn't build this. And I believe you wrote a really good article about that. Just saying, you know, you didn't build this. Texas football was already big before you got here. You just got it going again. And we're going to give you a lot of love for that. Gary Patterson built TCU football. You didn't build that? <laughs> you didn't build uh, that? I, <laughs> that was a bad Obama impersonation. I, I knew I where you were going. Uh, first of all, I don't like the slander against Mac Brown. He was killing himself in Florida when all this was going on. Oh, get out of here. Killing himself on the recruiting trail <laughs> and landed Andrew Beck. So in your face, Kevin, hey. Mr. Know-it-all guy. Hey, Andrew Beck play, plays in the league. That's what I'm telling you. So shut your mouth. <laughs> right. Kevin. And he was a valuable player here at Texas. Actually, he ended up being uh, pretty valuable. But I, no. I'll use him right now, I can assure you, after I watched uh, Jared Wiley's effort. On Saturday. Whoa, the right side of the line when they got blown up, the tight ends. My heavens. Wow. Wow. Jaron Thompson was on the sideline smiling. Oh, man. Hey, you want to know what's blowing up right now, Mr. Dunn, Mr. Anti-Mac? I hate Mac Brown guy. I'm not anti-Mac. I just give the truth about him. This podcast said the goal of my life's work is to take down Mac Brown. Yes, exactly. No, no, I I am a Mac Brown fan. I'm just honest about Mac Brown and people try and rewrite history. And the reality, the reality is, is that he wasn't as perfect as you think. That's okay. You don't spend the amount of time on the boards that I do, which is you spend almost no time on the board. I Uh, I have not been on a message board in over five years. Not once. You get the heartbeat of Texas fans through your text line and call in radio, yeah, which which really it, draws on a sharp crowd, and that is a message board, <laughs> just like that really sharp crowd. Well, at least guys on the message board can write, uh, <laughs> which actually which actually is not good because they can write, and because they are some twisted, really really angry people out there. Well, I have to tell you that uh, there is a resuscitate Mac Brown push which says that we should never should have fired him. That's that's what there is a not insignificant number of people trying to re trying to bring back this, this zombie. And uh, it's amazing. It's, it's like history never happened. Man. So it's just it's but that is a sign of like how frustrated people are. But you know what? We, we tangented when I was trying to make an incredibly deft uh, uh, transition. C minus. What do you got? What are you selling? All right. Well, what I'm selling is something that you want to buy. And that is a partnership with Mr. Gabe Winslow. That dude's a stud. Rates are good. We had a little run there where rates weren't looking super favorable. Rates are looking pretty good right now. I was talking to Gabe today, and he's putting in people in 30-year loans with a two in front of the number. Whoa. And that's a good number to be. Uh, not a guarantee. Obviously, you need the right credit. You need the right deal and all that. But give Gabe our friend a call at 832-557-1095. The great thing about Mr. Winslow of course, you can find him at mortgagesbygabe.com. If you can't spell the word mortgages, you're not bright <laughs> enough to be able to do a mortgage with him. So it's a good, it's a good little filtering mechanism, Kevin. <laughs> Unlike your text line at at uh, at the horn. Right, but the message boards are splitting atoms. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> the message board's a bunch of Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein's. Uh, but listen, don't don't distract me with your pettiness, Kevin. Sorry. Uh, Gabe is the man. He's going to shoot you straight. If it's a deal that looks like it's going to work, or if you've got a deal that looks superior, he'll let you know. I don't think you'll have a superior deal. He's got access to 100 different lenders, and he is extremely bright and very creative in his ability to find solutions for you. So whatever it is you're trying to do, even if you've got a wild hair, hey, is there something I could do about this credit card debt? Is there some way I could pay off my car and also refinance my house but not take any kind of hit? Yeah, there is a way. And even better, there's a non-taxable way to take equity out of your house and put that money to work. Give Gabe a call, 832-557-1095. Do we want to hit more on Patterson and on all these job hires, or do we want to talk a little Baylor? Oh, is there anything we missed with Patterson? So so would would Dykes be your number one guy? I know you're I a fan know. of Dykes. You know, I, I don't know. I don't really know what SMU is. A, I mean, he's look, he's done a fine job there, but... I mean, talk about a big fish in a small pond, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I would think I don't. I mean, I would think he's a good choice. I would look more national. If you end up there, that's fine. But I, I would try and actually have a national search. And I understand it's not going to be at the high end, high end level. But there are a lot of good football coaches out there. And that's one thing we've talked about. With Baylor, man, Baylor does a great job of finding the right guy. <sighs> Even if yeah, it is do. Art Bryles, I'm talking on the field at least. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, they've done a good job. Matt Rule, terrific coach. And Dave Aranda, he's following the rule plan to a T. You know, one thing that's interesting to watch, one of the useful things that I think was not helpful to Tom Herman is he was hired in the same year as Matt Rule. And Matt Rule, if you think Tom Herman in, in, you know, inherited a tough situation, and he did, by no means did he inherit a great situation immediately at Texas, right? Matt Rule inherited a bomb crater. Oh, God. Right? And he goes 1-11 in his first year. Tom Herman goes 7-6. and six. And you have these two programs separated by what? 70 miles? 80 miles? On I-35? And you're able to sort of track their progress. It was a constant comparison. And it was a constant comparison by me. Right. And yes. Matt Rule by year three, <laughs> sort of vindicated uh, who was the better football coach, right? And and he moves on to the NFL. Well, Tom Herman also moved on to the NFL, so I guess it's a tie. Yeah, right, yeah. well, kind of. He's with the Bears. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the premier organization of the NFL. As an offensive analyst. He's doing a lot for Justin Fields, I can tell you. <laughs> All right, well, I think we've hit Patterson hard. I think whatever you want to say, uh, big fish, small pond early, what he did in the Big 12, et cetera, fact is he created TCU football. He made that school $100 million-plus in revenue across all assets and, and sort of PR. And, frankly, he belongs in the College Football Hall of Fame, right? Yes. Yeah, he does. No, no, he does. Uh, he belongs in the College Football Hall of Fame. What he did was so impactful, we kind of hit it, but – any any time that you elevate the school like that, I mean it's it's a it's a miniature version, and I mean this is a compliment still, but it shows you how big what Bobby Bowden did with Florida State. I mean Florida State did not start playing football again because it was a teaching school. Prime it was all women 
up until when was that? Early, early, mid seventies, early fifties, I believe. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a yeah, no, no. It was in the fifties. Now Bowden took over in the seventies. It took over in seventy six. And look, Florida State was not known nationally. It, it just was not a known product at all. And no, it was a backwater. Yeah, and you think about all the admissions that they've gotten the last twenty five years because primarily and solely because of what Bobby Bowden did. And Gary Patterson is a version of that. Not as big, but pretty damn impressive, man. And the only thing before we move on, this is a funny thing, talking about Mac and, like, always trying to keep guys around maybe when their their time is done, as great as that time was for both those guys, because both those guys are going to be Hall of Famers. You got Mac in the Hall of Fame, right? Of course. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's of course, but, yeah. Um, I, I definitely would put him in there as well. Uh, people are asking today on the text line, do you think there's any way that, that Gary Patterson ends up somewhere? And getting back to your textures earlier, some are thinking, well, could he end up at a place like LSU? Well, no, he's not going to end up at LSU. Could Gary Patterson end up at Tech? Let's say everything went wrong and he, maybe they're at a fifth option right now? Huh. Yeah, I wouldn't take it off. I mean, that's it's possible. It's possible. But, boy, that would be a bad move for Tech and probably a bad move for Patterson. It would be. One other question. Could Tom Herman get any of these jobs? <laughs> no. Okay. Just throwing it out there. No. No. No, 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 no. I think he's viewed as uh, – I think he's viewed in sort of a toxic manner at those, other, at those schools. He Maybe is. I'm wrong. And I said today, TCU couldn't do that because you can't fire a guy and then hire a guy who couldn't beat the guy you fired. That's tough to do. That's tough to do. That's a tough sell. All right, let's get to Texas Baylor. We wasted enough time there. I know we we put it a little four court four corners for uh, like delay of get, you know delay on that. We but Kevin and I we are a fourth quarter podcast. We are unlike the Texas Longhorns of 2021. We are, and if we go for uh, four four corners, then we're not going to uh, we're not guy Lewin this guy Lewising this thing. We're actually going to to finish off strong and get the dub. Man, uh, rinse and repeat once again that Texas gets out to a lead. They're up 21-10, to 10 and they couldn't hold on. But once again, also, I feel like the better team won. You can get into when and how it's done. And, yes, Texas is falling apart late. But they're also able to get out in front of these teams. And even then, you're not really sold that they're the better football team. I think Baylor's a better football team. I thought that before the game. I've rewatched it twice now. I think after that Baylor's a better football team. Their strength was too big against the Texas weakness, which was run defense and blocking and a lot of other stuff. Here's what I saw. I saw two different sides of the ball behaving in different ways in terms of the outcome, which is I have a big problem on defense with the Texas game plan. And on offense, I really think that Texas players – cost Texas 17 to 24 points on the field with very simple errors being placed in a position to succeed and just not making the play. I actually thought Sark in the passing game, particularly called a really good game. Yeah. I, I, you know what, for the most part I do too. And this to me, I've been, I've been screaming that this is a talent issue for more than a year now. And people have kind of told me, no, it's not a talent issue. Once these guys come in, 
I mean, hopefully people can watch enough college football, and I, I know some people, some Texas fans, don't watch any other college football, which doesn't really help out when you're trying to compare the actual Texas talent. This, to me, was a majority of it was the players. So you've got drop passes in the end zone. You've got three points taken off the board because of a drop, and not a good throw, but number one, it, it was a drop. You still have to catch that ball. And then you've got Casey missing a wide-open Xavier Worthy where he could have punted him the football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we just got 17 points out of that, didn't we? Well, there was also a Josh Moore strip and fumble, right, on the Baylor 19-yard line. Uh, not, did you mention the volleyball set interception? The, the volleyball set I did mention. I did mention the strip and fumble. How about Bijan whiffing on a block when Marcus Washington is wide open for another touchdown? Yeah, he would have he would have jogged in for what a 50 55 yard touchdown. Another another one that struck me and this is just like the capper. Late in the fourth quarter, Texas is down 3. Third and 6 on the Baylor 44. Third and 6, Baylor 44, that game situation. How many plays is Texas running there? 2, right? Two. It's third and six, right? Yeah. So you're going to call your third and six play. So you can run that like it's second and six. That's it. And you're, you can, you now have two plays in your pocket, which increases your chance of a conversion, right? Tope Amade false starts due to gravity. Like, I don't know if you saw the, the, that, what he did, but he sort of twitched a little and then couldn't stop himself, the avalanche of his flesh moving, and he just sort of fell over. And it's now all of a sudden it's third and 11. Now you're in a one-play situation, right? And it's an incompletion. It makes it a clear passing down for Casey Thompson, which Casey Thompson didn't exactly excel in. And what happens right after that, that's the stupid fake punt. Oh. And I mean, talk about a cascade of a one little thing, you know, creates this cascade of shit that runs downstream. Yeah, that's nah, a good way to put it. Yeah, I think Amade was I think Tope at the beginning there, he was actually checking with majors on a call and kind of rotates left. And then it was like a split second after. I mean, once you get that much weight moving, you're not stopping it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, crazy, I mean, he's man. 360 or whatever it is. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, Texas, they should have won, obviously, one of these in the three, the last three, three-game losing streak. But this is still, there's so many deficiencies with this football team. And my, my biggest complaint with this coaching staff, you can bitch about how they're not adjusting to the talent they have. My biggest complaint is the hubris they had in the spring thinking that their scheme and, and that what they do could actually work around this talent and not hitting the transfer portal for offensive linemen. It's been 10 straight years. The offensive line has been dog shit here. And it's really hard to get stuff going, even if you have Bijan. I love the very simple, well, I mean, you know, Bijan, look, you can't have Bijan just get totally shut down like that. There are ways to scheme around it. But guess what? If you've got really crappy players around, one good player, great player, that great player is going to be neutralized a majority of the time. It's interesting. You wonder if some of the stuff that had been schemed up in the passing game, if Texas hits some of those and, and you know makes the catch or makes the throw, does Baylor come out of that defense, right? Do they, yeah. get, do they get damaged enough by these single-shot touchdowns that Sark has schemed up that they go, all right, hey, we got to scrap this. We got to do something different. They're they're killing us, right? They're going to put forty five in the board unless we do something different. 
And, and maybe that would have given some breathing room to the running game. I think it would have happened. Yeah. Very I, similar to Oklahoma State, right? Yes. No, I think it would have. I think if you hit on some of those, Aranda's got no choice but to to respect that a little bit and to, to bring the troops back a little bit. And that would open some creases for Bijan. But this is just – it's not a very talented football team. It is what it is. And at this point, the coaching staff try and do everything you can to work around it. But – there just needs to be a significant overhaul of this roster. And that's been the case for a little while, man. Curious about this. And this is like a matter of timing and intuition and, and understanding the game and, and really having a global knowledge of football. You know, the bill, it's the thing that I think makes Bill Belichick so special or even Nick Saban at the college level is that they could coach multiple positions and Bill Belichick could be a coordinator on either side of the ball if he felt like it. Matt, right? Matt Rule coached almost every position, if you look at his past. Yes, yes. And so here's an interesting thing. Jeff Grimes, who did, who basically resuscitated Baylor, right? They had a horrific year last year. They were 2-7, and seven, and it was not looking good for Dave Aranda. He, he shit-cans his offensive coordinator. He gets Grimes from BYU, and Baylor's got a competent offense. They're not world beaters. And I tell you what, Jeff Grimes, is he's, he's as scared of Jerry Bohannon as Steve Sarkeesian is of Casey Thompson. Gary, clear passing Gary Bohannon, even though it's not Gary spelled Bohannon, that way. Sorry. I know. No, it's impossible. Rod does it all the time because you look at the G-E-R-R-Y. It is Gary. I felt like we talked about it after the game, and I'm watching this at Pluckers, so I've got I'm almost pretty much hosting a party. So trying – I mean, I'm obviously watching, but it's not watching by yourself where you can really – uh, tune in and write stuff down. And, and I asked you, I said, hey, did it feel, you know, felt like both coordinators kind of were scared of their quarterbacks? And that was the case, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, very interesting in the first half of Texas fans. If you if you go back and rewatch it, God help you. <laughs> if you go back and rewatch, Texas ran the ball with Bijan on third and five, on third and six, on second and 20, and on third and 22. They ran it I mean, on third and nine in Fort Worth and converted. That, and that's fine. It, you can do that as a changeup, right? But this was, I am not going to have Casey Thompson throw the ball on a clear passing down where they know it's a passing down. They're going to bring their best stuff. They're going to bring their best disguise coverage. I'm going to set up my set piece shots for Casey down the field on a neutral down. It's yeah. going to be second and six. It's going to be first and 10. They're, they're going to have to call a neutral coverage. And Steve Sarkeesian did not want Casey Thompson throwing the football on predictable down and distance. And you saw why in that fourth quarter, because when Texas had to throw, Baylor had something like six pass breakups <laughs> I mean, in one quarter of play. And it, it's just not going to happen. And so, you know, and then you saw with Baylor, of course, uh, Bohannon threw two picks in the middle of the field that were gifts. And then you saw Grimes dial it back to single read RPOs and just throwing it out to the sideline, right? Throwing it out to the sideline repeatedly on little hitch routes to exploit that off coverage. And then they ran the ball, which is what that should be the default for every offensive coordinator at halftime against Texas. Hey, let's not forget about the running game. Who cares about what the score is pro or con let's run the ball because it's going to pay off for you. Yeah, they didn't exactly run the the speed option like Pat White did back in the day, <clears throat> but they didn't need to. I mean, essentially, it was just a, a a a toss sweep, but it was getting to the edge of that Texas defense, which they tried the wide zone. Texas, 
You know, I will say this. I think Krakowski's doing as much as he can, and it's not the right answers, but at least he's making some changes. I mean, schematically, he's trying to do some things with this defense. I just don't think the defense is that good. But, yeah, they're able to run and take take advantage of over-pursuit, too, which Texas has had a problem with that linebacker and safety all year long and really having the right fits and running the alleys for the safeties. <clears throat> I think it was Abram Smith said after the game, he said, yeah, he said the cutback was there because they're over-pursuing front side. So they recognize that, run the football against Texas. <clears throat> I want to ask you, though, about Casey. You know, Casey's PFF grade was actually much better than I thought it would be. I think it was the highest for any Texas offensive player at 82. He's throwing off his back foot a lot. Those sloppy habits can happen whenever you've got a bad offensive line. So that is part of it. He doesn't have world beaters outside of Xavier Worthy at wide receiver, especially with Whittington gone now. How much of this do you put on Casey? How much of this do you put on just all the other things around him? Most of it's on Casey. Okay. If, if you watch the game without dispassionately, without the emotion of the moment, and you don't let the narrative weigh what you're actually seeing. So that throw to Xavier Worthy that was basically a, a helium punt, oh, right? That was awful. If you go back and watch that, he has mild pressure. He basically self-pressures, and he, he wilts in the pocket. Yeah, he could have stepped Fades up. away. There's nobody about to hit him. He is not hit on the throw, and he could easily step into it. It's, it's a basic quarterbacking play, and any throw there, literally any throw inside the boundary – is a score to Xavier Worthy. Yeah, he didn't have to put and any zip on it. He wilted. He he shot a fadeaway jumper wilting in the pocket. And he's been doing that repeatedly over the last three or four games. And, you know, it's just, it's now, you know, sort of hardwired into him. Uh, when he immediately recognizes an open route, as, you know, with the 63-yard touchdown to Xavier Worthy, where Xavier just blew by that guy. Um, you know, he's, he's throwing a, a decent ball and, and stepping into it. Anything where he's having to hold the ball a little bit and just recognize what's happening, his mechanics fall apart, and he's he's not he's not standing strong or being strong in the pocket. He's not, but it's also why I brought up the offensive line. He's not the first quarterback to 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 see ghost or to hear something that's not there, hear footsteps because he doesn't have a clean pocket a lot of the time. I mean, it sounds like I'm making an excuse for him. And maybe I am to some degree. I just think it's the reality of the situation. He is throwing off his back foot a lot. His mechanics have have really wilted. And the problem with that is he doesn't have the physical gifts to not step in to throws, to not use his lower half. He does not have the arm to do that. The other thing, too, I'll say this. As he had drops, no doubt, and certainly had him in Waco, because of his arm, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, and kind of not really knowing when to put less touch on the ball and zip it a little bit more, or maybe he just can't zip it. There are a lot more contested catches than there should be. I'm really glad you said that because that was a big part of the fourth quarter, right? Baylor sitting back um, often in sort of a zone and just reading him. And the Texas receiver is open. And then they just break on the ball and the ball's not getting there quickly. You know, this you know, if Justin Herbert is throwing that ball, those are all completions probably, unless the receiver just outright drops it. Are there completions right? so, and there's yak after. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, that's that's a big part of it. And, and he's putting air still on 
weird balls that that level of air should not be on it. Yeah. And and I, I just don't get it. And there's a lack of feel. And look, we have seen weak-armed quarterbacks do quite well in college football. It's not the NFL. I did a radio show have, with one. If you have good recognition and anticipation and you get the ball out there early, it doesn't matter if they break on it. You you beat them, right? right. Um, Major Applewhite. There you go. He's He was an effective college quarterback. He had a weak arm. And so weak that, you know, he went to an NFL training camp and they just said, hey, sorry, kid, it, it ain't working, right? So I'll give you two. They were actually the winningest quarterbacks when they left school. Well, hell, one of them is the head coach of the University of Texas. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Sark, Sark is one of those guys. Uh, I was going to say one of them is the offensive coordinator, your Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And the other would be Colt McCoy, who did not have a, an incredibly strong arm. Now, I think it's stronger than maybe some of the guys we mentioned, but yeah. at the college level it was, and he was able to move and be mobile and create different lanes. But, yeah, there it really is about anticipation, and Casey's a step slow on that. Casey's not the biggest problem, but he's also not really a solution right now. Now, does that mean I'd go throw Hudson Card in there? I'm not sure I would names. I almost felt like Sark today at the press conference was setting up the move to where when they lose in Ames, Hudson may get the start against Kansas. Or you could start Hudson Card against the same defense that he saw against Arkansas on the road in a hostile environment. At night when it's freezing. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> at night. I'm not sure <laughs> I would say, do that. Hey, Hudson, setting you up for success, buddy. It's, uh, it's just like playing rice. Yeah, and look, I was down for the Casey move. He is a more decisive runner, and he actually had some of those decisive runs on a couple of them that ended up getting 40, 40 yards combined. That with this offensive line, we knew this offense was going to be off schedule so much. But if you're looking towards the future, do you do do we see more Hudson Card, who we know has better arm talent, and we also know was completely overwhelmed. Talk about happy feet last time we saw him. There, so there might be some dynamics going on with Hudson Card. We don't know. And I don't know if that's a Sark loyalty thing or if it's just him being political to mitigate the transfer portal. Uh, could be. I mean, look, when, when, when you and I were critical of Casey Thompson against TCU, right, we said, guys, we're going to evaluate what we're seeing. We're not evaluating your, like, winner hero narrative, right, that everyone was trying to create with Casey Thompson. And the prep. You know how much prep he does? I know. I've never seen a guy watch that much film. That's awesome. But, I mean, Gronk does zero prep. I really just give a shit what you do on the field. Because he watches so much film. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's all nonsense. It's narrative. You just have to watch what you're seeing on the field and the play presented and did the quarterback make the play. So we both said – it might be that Casey's the guy. It might be Hudson is ultimately the guy. It might be that both are guys, right? It might be that neither is the guy. Yeah, I'm going to go with D. And if, and if neither is the guy, then Sark already knows he's got to go get a quarterback because he's not. it's not going to work next year that if, if neither is the guy, he's got to go find a quarterback. So he might just think I might as well just ride out this year. Or, you know, maybe he hasn't liked what he's seen from Hudson in practice. I, I have no idea. It's just pure conjecture. So, you know, if he plays Hudson, he plays him. And, and I, have no, I, I have no instinct about this because I don't know what the actual – the evaluation that's being weighed. I don't know what Sark has sort of made up his mind about with regards to the, that quarterback room. 
No, none of us do, and most of it is conjecture. So that's something I'm glad you always remind people of that. I try to on the radio, and it takes the fun out of it, I know, because we all like to think we know what the fuck's going on, but the reality is is that behind closed doors you don't really know the dynamics and maybe the politics that are in play. And we also don't know what Sark really thinks about this team. My hope would be that if I gave him some truth serum, that 90% of what he says to the media is polar opposite of what he really thinks, to where he would look at me and say, holy shit, Kevin, I can't believe how bad this roster is. And you know what? I did have some hubris. We thought we were going to be able to scheme around some of this, but we lost this in the spring. You know, he might also say, eh, we're a quarterback, one offensive lineman, one more receiver, and a couple of defensive guys getting the light turned on from being eh, six and two or seven and one right now. Yeah, they're not one offensive lineman away, and I, I'm sick of that. I've finally gotten people to come around that the off because I was told in the off season that all of a sudden Christian Jones was going to be just a different player, and that Denzel Okafor is, has really turned a corner, and you know to where he's well. Theoretically, if you keep turning corners, you end up back where you started. That's true. Theori- yes, you're right about that. <laughs> but I'm just kind of sick of it, it. That Watch other college football. It doesn't take a genius. Watch other college football and watch these guys. Well, that's because they're schemed up better. That's because they're developed better. The, de- well, de- the is, development I, I is part of the talent, by the, the offensive way. Line. What's the, up? My point is, Sark may think that we're actually just a couple of key players who can make a play, specifically the open routes that he's designing every game, right? I mean, when's the last time we've seen three to five wide open scoring passes per game at Texas? John Makovic. No, it's been a while. But, I mean, that's happening, right? Yeah, no, it is. No, no, it is. No, look, he, he is scheming some stuff open. So you may be right about that. Um, to where, yeah, I mean, and it wouldn't have taken too much to actually for this team to be six and one. Or, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's all two. I'm saying. And by the way, I don't think the Big 12 is good. I'm just saying, no. I think that there were 41 points probably out on that field if Texas players just make plays. And I'm not saying do something exceptional. I'm saying complete the wide open pass to the wide open guy and catch the ball in your hands and run. Yeah. Like basic football shit. Fair. I think Texas puts 40-plus on the board. I really do. I think you bring up, I mean, uh, some fair arguments. And they're maybe they're not that far away. Uh, but I, I, I look at the players, and that's part of what I'm talking about. So you need guys that catch the ball. You need guys that can throw the ball. You need guys that can block. And you can come in and try and turn that around and scheme them up. They schemed up enough points to win that game. Oklahoma State, a little bit different. Well, I know somebody who's got some positive schemes for our listeners That's Laura Baker. She is a great realtor with the Andy Allen team of Keller Williams. And part of her scheme, whether you're buyer or seller, is to create an optimal situation for you. Right now, we know it is a very much a seller's market in Centex. And Centex is, you know, that big swath that goes 50, 60 miles either direction from, from Town Lake. And one thing is, if you've got a great realtor, who is on your side and really gets it and has the work ethic to go get after it and to go out and find great offers or better yet, to find a way to maximally optimize your property and its value proposition. 
there's a big difference in hierarchy and, and realtors and their ability to do that. You want someone who's proven to be elite. That's Laura Baker. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. That's 512-784-0505. Kevin, do we want to talk a little Stroh's Braves? The Stroh's rallied, extended this series to 3-2. It's coming back to Houston. Is, uh, is Houston going to win two in a row and, and seal this thing off in dramatic fashion? Probably not. Atlanta definitely has the advantage with Max Freed than Ian Anderson. You know, I mean, I, I figured this thing was going to be an offensive series. And until game five, we really hadn't seen that. So I was wrong on that. Give a lot of these relievers credit. I mean, I think the Astros bullpen and the Braves bullpen, they've been lights out. And even guys like Luke Jackson, who are Braves fans, will be the first to tell you is a just uh, – he's – always waiting to blow up and he's got good stuff he's been fantastic the pitching's been really really good save game five when the Astros needed it man but you give up a grand slam in the first inning you're down four nothing down three one in the series on the road to a team who had not lost in the postseason at home and you're able to chip back in that thing and chip back quickly with with two spot I believe in the second two spot in the third Freddie Freeman answers that Man, you give this team a lot of credit. It's a resilient club, and they will continue to fight. The question is, can they get enough pitching? And also, can that offense stay stay at that pace? Because, look, they went to Atlanta, and they had three runs in their first two games, including a 2 nothing game where there were no hit through seven. Ian Anderson's yep. changeup was fantastic. He looked great, but th- this is going to be an offensive team. That's who they're going to be all year long. So they got to stay awake. I love – the roster or the the lineup shakeup that Dusty Baker had. Really smart and just in time. I am uh, I'm interested. I think I want, obviously, the Astros to win. I want an Astros win in Game 6. I just want to see a Game 7 with mega stakes and in Houston and uh, yeah, see what happens. See if the Braves wilt on the road because, you know, they certainly have the advantage. But, boy, when things – if it goes 3-3 – I think it. I think it. I think the tables will turn on the Braves. I really do. Oh, advantage Houston. If if Houston wins tomorrow night, we're doing this Monday night. If Houston wins tomorrow night, Houston it has has the advantage. But with Max Freed, who's been so lights out, even though he really hadn't been so much in the play in the postseason, Freed actually I think found himself a little bit with that lineup as he stayed in that game. The the game two, I believe, the first one that he pitched. This should be fun. This should be fun against a predominantly right-handed hitting lineup, which is really good. Tomorrow, and I, by the way, I know why you want Game 7. You forgot that you admitted on the podcast that you went in with Gabe on tickets. So I know why you want a Game 7. How dare you suggest I have a financial Yeah, interest. right. You kidding How me? How dare you? Uh, it, it, just you wanting to talk baseball. This is probably your way of trying to promote <laughs> it and hoping that someone listens and thinks, you know what, i got to pay up for that. You know what, Kevin? Just shut up. How dare you? How dare you say things that are true? Yeah. And any listeners who, uh, if you want to get some really good seats for Game 7 in Houston, reach out. Or Game go. 6. We also have two seats left. Hey, um, I I do want to point out that as, as much as baseball has been courting me to become a fan with really uh, good play and a lot of excitement, good pitching, good hitting, uh, great environment, then I have to watch baseball players. Oh, God. And how they dress. How they comport themselves, their stupid haircuts, their stupid <laughs> beards, the stupid anal beads that Jock Peterson wears <laughs> proudly around his neck. Those are like pearls. 70, 
like a yeah, ZZ Top had a song about that. Uh, he he's. He's dressed like Jessica Lansbury going to dinner theater on a Sunday evening. <laughs> that is the stuff I hate about baseball. And I know we have several UT players who listen to this podcast. Great, great players, by the way. We have a lot of them, actually. They didn't dress like that. They didn't have stupid haircuts. They didn't have stupid beards. They didn't look like guys that you just woken up from a three-day bender at a trailer park or some weirdo trying to get in the headlines like jock peterson they were just normal cool dudes good good athletes went out there and played good baseball right i can deal with that i i can't deal with this major league baseball comportment issue that i have of just how guys look like shit bags or they're idiots. <laughs> so paul paul essentially texted this to me uh during one of the games and I could tell he was going off. I was hoping you'd go off on the podcast, and you just did. That was brilliant. So I'm so ignorant about baseball, right, in, in, like, in terms of being topical, <laughs> that Jock Peterson, that whole thing was new to me. I, I literally was like, why is this guy wearing his grandma's pearls? And you're like, oh, it's a big thing, and Braves fans wear the pearls. And then I noticed that in the broadcast, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, jeez. I told you it was like a bunch of kids are wearing them now. Yeah, it's he's messed wearing, up. But hey, in game seven. Hey, would you admit would you admit that the beard thing is bigger than just baseball? We got a whole beard thing going on, especially where you live. Or where I live too. We live in Austin and San Francisco. You better get used to funky beards. Stupid beards. Stupid beards, if you want to call them that. Whatever. Yeah, and God. what stupid haircut are you talking about? Every baseball player's haircut. Do you watch <laughs> the games? I do. I don't see their hair a lot. Oh um, well, you don't notice the the lovely mane coming out the back of <laughs> half of all the pitchers or the bizarre like uh just uh, don't pretend to not you just don't even notice anymore no That's yeah that actually you know what that probably is a lot of it uh I, I i just don't doesn't really you know i do notice the big gold chains from all the latin players you talked about well when san francisco had its great run right and all of our players just look like complete shit bags like fat dudes who've never been off the couch in their life but they're great at baseball no you guys look you guys look like a halfway house i would point that out to you and you'd be like huh oh yeah i guess that's true (laughs) they don't all look like mike trout it's like yeah no kidding i watch a ton of baseball hey hey, we've seen some pretty good athletes in this series too so under let's separate the athletes from the non-athletes Who's the dude uh, for the Braves? Black dude, very athletic, has some power. He can run. He Jorge, can sort of do everything. Jorge, Solar? Jorge Soler. I like that guy. I knew you'd like that guy. He looks like a football player. He's a real player. athlete. Yeah. Had, had he grown up playing real sports, he would not be playing baseball. Oh, God. Hey, what would he be playing? Soccer? Hockey. Hockey. <laughs> you think I'd say that because you're a racist. No, I know. I know. You're right. I don't expect brothers to be skating. <laughs> All right, so I did not expect that. No, Solaire looks like a football player. There have been some pretty good athletes. The White Sox are your team, by the way. The White Sox look like a football team. They were, they were a bunch of roided-up dudes who just swing hard. Well, you know, it's a little, little different on the island when you can uh, get that supply. You don't get to walk off the island is what they say, right? You don't walk off the island. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're excited about it. I'm glad you're making some money off of it. I'm sure you were watching game five just thinking about the money. But, yeah, this has been good baseball. It's been – and the pitching has been really damn good. I mean, I say that as a baseball person that knows that you usually get to this point almost always, and that means you're pitching well. But with these two offenses 
and losing their two aces like they did, I just figured that you were going to see more offense. We saw that a little bit in game five. We'll see if that trend continues in game six. But there's nothing like playoff baseball, even with the stupid beards, even with the anal beads, even with all the crap that you don't like. I, you know what I can, I can say I do like? And Gabe Winslow, of course, is a seam head, so I, I torture him about baseball as well. But he actually introduced me to the legend of Zach Greinke and all of his stories. Oh, Greinke would be right up your alley. He's a strange Granky cat, is dude. hilarious. He's a strange I, guy. If you guys have a chance to just Google his stories, he is a offbeat, super interesting guy. And a, obviously a very good pitcher in his prime. Yeah, very good pitcher. He seems like he'd be about as fun as AIDS to hang out with, though. Well, I think he might be a little bit on the spectrum. Spe- I think he is on the spectrum. So yeah, I'll, I'll edit that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I as I said that, I thought, yeah, I think he's actually on the spectrum. I could get in trouble for that. Nah, we don't get in trouble on this podcast. That's one of the great things. Hey, if you're in some financial trouble or maybe you want to just be in a better spot, David McClellan is the guy to get in touch with. He is a friend of the show, part of the family, the EGAT family. And if you're listening, you're part of the family as well. So he's going to offer you a free consultation to all listeners. Just mention EGAT. Part of that consultation is going to be helping you understand your financial freedom number. That's it right there. When can I actually be free? Maybe some things you could be doing differently to build your wealth and achieve that financial freedom a little bit faster. He's an incredibly bright guy, was a national champion swimmer at Texas, and he works with anyone and everyone. So that's all over the country. We'll give you the phone number. It's Chicago area code, but uh, but David will work with you no matter where you're at. He's not your typical advisor. His resume really speaks for itself, and we can't make all we can't make the claims we want because of regulations. But trust me, there's a reason we're partnering with David McClellan. Forum Financial is a fiduciary financial advisor, and it's 312-933-8823, 312-933-8823, or McClellan at forumfin.com. Hey, before we wrap up here, how was Halloween? Halloween was good. Got a couple of Jolly Ranchers, threw them away. Oh, God. <laughs> actually, actually, I had some Jolly Ranchers, and I was reminded to be minus candy. No, it's not. It's above that. And it depends what's one. If you're getting like the apple or some of that bullshit, then yeah. If you're getting fire or grape, that is a B plus A minus candy. You have a big thing for grape. Do I you love like grape, grape soda? Uh funny enough, no. Oh. No, okay. but 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 I like ice pops, you know, any of those you'd get speaking of baseball oh, and playing yeah. little league. I'm a grape guy. I'm gonna go grape on that. Nerds all go grape. I love grape. But I'm not a huge fan of grapes or grape soda. All right. Well, I'm the Zach. Ape- I'm the Zach Grinky of the candy world. <laughs> you are the Zach Grinky of the candy <laughs> world in many respects. Oh God. All right. Paul. All right. Well, for for noted grape ape Kevin Dunn, this is Paul Wadlington saying, see you next week.